Hey folks, welcome to episode 313 of the MLF Bass Fishing Podcast in Shaftesbury, Vermont. I'm Jody White, joined as always from beautiful, sunny, uh, extremely warm Norwalk, Iowa by the one and only <laughs> Kyle Wood. <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. It's like it's supposed to be like 70 something here. It was like 60 degrees at 6:45 this morning. Kyle, it's like 40-something right now, which is pretty unreal, honestly. It's December in Vermont, but still, like, that is... I, I can't believe your weather. Yeah, man. And the uh, there's a, a nice, gentle breeze of about 20 to 30 miles an hour right now out of the south, and it's supposed to get up to, like, 60 to 70 miles an hour this afternoon. And uh, I've never put any effort into, like, things I have outside or things that are, like, you know, on the deck that could blow away. But now I'm like... I think I should bring some stuff inside. You might want to consider it. <laughs> um, have you seen, this is on topic, I guess. Have you seen the photos of Lake Erie lately? There have been some banger images of just huge waves. Because they had a ton of wind like a couple days ago. And then they had a ton of wind like maybe a week ago when there was uh, the there was that like uh, Monday Night Football game or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, it's very impressive. I cannot believe we fish bash tournaments there. <laughs> but, hey. Whoa. I just Googled. So, I, I, um, I've i seen some guys. Uh, whoa. I just Googled Lake Erie wave photos. And uh, <laughs> this is pretty trippy. Yeah. It's like, it's been rocking. I wonder what the smallmouth do in that. Do you think they go up and down with them, or do you think they just sit on the bottom? I don't well, know how waves work, really. <laughs> I mean, I feel like when they get that big, right, there's enough turbulence in the water. They probably are trying to sit still, but I can't imagine it's, uh, I don't know, it might be, well, there is current too, I guess. They I'm going to guess they just nestle in between two rocks and say, here we are, boys. Yeah, it's like, don't move. Oh, there goes a goby. <laughs> oh, Stay right, I'll, I'll eat that. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Yeah, they can't. They, I don't think they pass up gobies. Um, cool. Well, uh, Kyle, we have a good show this week. Um, I guess uh, our our main uh, main course is Ryan Salzman, uh, new uh, Bass Pro Tour Pro, former Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit Pro. Uh, and then, Kyle, you and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, some severe weather uh, in Kentucky. We'll talk about trap season. Oh, it's always trap season. Always um, trap season. We're going to hit some gift ideas for the holidays and uh, mention a few other sort of news and notes, uh, a couple of you know real critical factors uh, for us, anyhow. Yep. And I think that'll do it. Yeah, um, should, be, uh, should be a good one. Cool. Uh, shall I sell you some baits? Please sell me some baits. Okay, well, buckle up, buddy, because few lures have stood the test of time like the original rattle trap by Bill Lewis. And now, with the help of Major League Fishing Pro Mark Daniels Jr., we're launching the SB57 and MR6. Go to rattletrap.com to learn more. Hmm. Also, are you in need of a great career opportunity that gives you time to fish and spend time with the family? Neat Companies is looking for you. Neat needs Class A CDL drivers now. Competitive pay, 100% paid health insurance, 401k, tuition reimbursement, and more are just some of the benefits. Call NEAT now at 833-463-NEAT to get your career started. That's 
463 NEAT. Crushed it. I feel like that was a good head read. That was. That All was a, around, should, that was solid. We should save that one and just use it over and over. I might. It would take like three clicks. <laughs> um, all right. Well, in that case, here is uh, the one and only Ryan Salzman. Alrighty, And now we are joined by Ryan Salzman, uh, newly minted Bass Pro Tour Pro. Um, finished third in AOI this year on the Tack Warehouse Pro Circuit, which is uh, phenomenal. Uh, Ryan, congrats on a great year, man, and congrats on qualifying. Man, thank you so much, Jody. It was a it was a great year, and really just took it tournament by tournament. And at the beginning of the year, I didn't. It wasn't even on my radar thinking that I, you know, that I could achieve that. Um, just because I was kind of down a little bit. I had a, a rough sophomore year, kind of like a lot of pros do, and I think I finished like 80th the prior year. 88. So, uh, just 88. So, yeah, yeah, right. I, I, you know, I tried to put it out the exact number. <laughs> out of my head but um from from my standards that was subpar you know performance so but you you have a good years and bad years and if you can keep your bad years 88 it's not that terrible out of 170 boat field so yeah and i mean you fish so you fish three years now and you finish 28th and uh then 88th and then third like if you average that out that's pretty good i mean that's not anything you really would want to complain about sure absolutely um i guess for this year while we're kind of while we're on the subject like it felt like you had a very dramatic year to me if that makes sense (laughs) you know okeechobee or like you were always on the edge of it being very dramatic maybe okeechobee you finished eighth and you had a huge day three. Um, then like at Murray, maybe it was just cause I was there, but I watched you catch a big one. that was seemed super clutch. Um, right. And then like, I don't know, even the title, you know, day one, you caught him really good and you were on a really front frog bite. And then it kind of petered out. Like, did you, uh, do you feel like you fished to, a third place AOI finish, or do you feel like you should have been better or worse? Does that make sense? I feel like I still learned a ton. Um, to win AOI, you have to be like so good, so so good. Yeah, and I mean this now, year, like Skeet and Neil, and for a while Colt Floyd were like pretty well out in front of people. They sure were. Um, there's one tournament that sticks out in my mind and like maybe one or two fish catches. So it, like even missing AOI wasn't really that far from me. Um, in my mind, Smith Lake, my worst finish this year, I finished one place outside the money, 81st. Um, man, I had 11 pounds on day one, which had me in like 24th. And I fish Smith Lake all the time. I'm good for 11 pounds there usually. And I was catching my fish using Lorant's active target. And I love that technology. However, we, you know, we were on that warming trend and I didn't adjust fast enough. Like it changed overnight. It went from seeing a fish and converting that fish you saw in the active target to a bite with a swim bait to a follow or a tail grab. And I didn't quit fast enough on day two. In all practice, I didn't practice a backup pattern. 
so I had to take my medicine on Smith. And that's when I, for me, active target has turned into a straight structure tool. I am way better at fishing structure with it and just in normal fishing, I unplug it and rely on my instincts. Um, if I had done my instincts kind of fishing on Smith Lake, I feel like I might've had a chance at AOI just cause I feel like I might've had another 20th, 30th place finish there. And you never know how that snowballs. So, so, okay. Yeah. I, now I need to talk about active target. So you like normal fishing is in going down the bank or, do you wish at Smith that you had not even bothered to chase a suspended spot and just fish the bank? Like what's talk, talk to me about that a little more. So now knowing what I'd know now, active target is not something I will practice. I'll have it on during practice, but it's not something that I'm going to try. And, um, I thought I had to practice how to catch the fish, like what lure, it ended up being a swim bait, which is what I always throw at them anyways, or, <laughs> or a uh, nail-weighted wacky rig. So I've learned that if you're going to use it in a tournament, don't practice it. Because you're you're going to throw the same two or three things, and they're either going to bite it or they're not. So I wasted my whole practice not fishing down the bank, or you know, just fishing off feel, more or less, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of, because when you add the element of knowing, there's no more feel. And this is something I don't think that's talked about enough with active target. Um, and so many guys are, are kind of just straight bent on using active target and they think they cannot compete without it. There's only one angler's name I need to tell you. And that's John Cox. Um, you don't need it to compete. There's tournaments where it definitely, um, gives you an advantage. Oh yeah. If you know how to use it properly, like Northern smallmouth, spotted bass and, and brush pile lakes. Even dock, like, you know, not like a floating dock, like, can be very effective. But even on those lakes, you can absolutely win without using active target. So you kind of have to figure out what personality you have with your fishing style. And, and mine is, is definitely instinct feel, more John Coxish than um, active target. Now, don't get me wrong, I love structure, um, structure scan and down scan. I'm, I'm kind of offshore guy. But I learned offshore fishing off feel. And even offshore, I do not like looking at the fish. I like to feel them out with, you know, going through my process of throwing different lures. All right. It makes, I mean, it makes sense because, you know, you can, I, I feel like there's a lot of times where even with active target or live scope, you can catch a fish that you don't see on it, you know? And so if mm-hmm. you spend too much of a percentage of time trying to fish only for fish that you see you're naturally going to miss stuff Mm -hmm. um and it was still key for me oh sorry i was going to add at ufala 100 percent would not have and that was kind of like make it by the skin of my teeth tournament because i i was um i'm not gonna lie i figured out the same pattern jason abrams did and i kind of on day one i got in a really bad rotation behind him and uh, the only thing that saved me was my shad spawn that morning that had 12 pounds. And on day two, since he had such a good, I decided to leave that upriver totally alone and go fish all the brush piles that I had for day two and just chance it. And I caught a bigger bag than I did on day one. And um, you caught all those fish solely using active target on brush piles. Okay. I feel like you've caught them really good on brush piles with 
you know, forward-facing sonar a couple times now. Because he did it the Cup, too, back at Hamilton, which, granted, was kind of a different ball game with, uh, mm-hmm. what was that, Live Sight is what they Lawrence was doing? Yes, it was Live Sight, yep. It, which, was, it was just basically the sonar version of it. Yeah, which was uh, not as good as Active Target. <laughs> um, no. What what what's the key when you're fishing a brush pile with that? Cause I've watched Brian thrift catch 7 million fish out of brush piles with just hummingbird 360. And like, I, but I mean, at the same time, like obviously you're super good at what you're doing with it. So the best thing I can tell you is to really get out there and practice distances. Like if I, if I got in your boat and I just said, throw a 30 foot cast, could you hit a 30-foot cast, throw a 50-footer, throw a 60-footer? Do you really know what those distances are? And what's really going to make you great at brush pile fishing is staying, I would say, 60 feet to 80 feet away from the pile, depending on if – I would say 60 to 80 if it's 15 feet or so. Once it gets a little deeper than 15, you can get to that, like, you know, inch to 50, 50 to 60. Um, deeper than, like, 25, you can be a lot more vertical on them. I feel like staying off of those fish and making casts to them increase your odds dramatically of catching fish. So know your distances and don't get too close to the brush piles. Okay. Do you let the bait determine, um, like, or do you let the active target determine what baits you're going to throw? Like, will you watch fish react or not react to certain presentations? Or do you just sort of have a rotation you're going to go through anyway? I think the answer to both questions is yes. Um, Because a lot of times, like, I can look at a brush pile and tell how thick it is, and, like, I don't want to throw my drop shot in that one. Like, I'm going to a peg, big 10-inch worm, something that's totally weedless. Um, Some brush piles look good for jigs. Um, But at the same time, I had all those rigged up already. The only difference is I may not throw one because I can tell it's not going to work out. Um, Or if I throw it, like to throw a jig i may not throw it in the heart of it i may try to come around the outside branches so yes okay one thing that happens with smallmouth a lot is you'll pull them off whatever you're fishing usually not Mm -hmm. brush but like you'll catch one or two or even just make one cast and if they don't eat it five of them will follow it off the rock and they'll sit around your boat do you have a strategy for that Oh, yes, absolutely. You always want to keep a wacky rig or a drop shot handy. Um, even a drop shot, I'm sorry, even a swim bait, um, which is, is definitely rigged up for brush file fishing for me, uh, I kind of run away. I do the whole run away thing. So once I catch one, and I, if I see fish follow it out, I'll put the trolling motor in reverse, and I'll try to land that fish and kind of try to keep tabs on that school. And they usually sit somewhere off the brush pile, like you're saying. And every time you catch one, you kind of pull them towards you. So we just run away from the fish. And that's something I learned from Tennessee River ledge fishing. Okay, that's cool. That's a that's a good little, like, that's a fun little tip. I like that. Oh, dude, it's really cool. It's, a, it's it really effective with crankbaits, too, because, you know, crankbait fishing, they're always, seems like they're really competitive with crankbait. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get doubles, they're trying to take it out of each other's mouth. And a lot of times you end up pointing the whole boat away, and it's almost like you, you keep you're going on like seven, you keep running away from it. You're almost like long lining it, but you're not, you're just throwing behind the boat, trying to come for the fish that keep chasing the others. <laughs> that's uh that's cool. I don't think that I've seen that, but I can imagine it. And I imagine, you know, like 
actually being able to see where the fish are is a heck of a lot better mm-hmm. than being on spot lock and just casting to the same place and sort of hoping to hit them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it, the active targets really made it so where we can be like, all right, we, we know when to leave sooner, more or less. But at the same time, I think there's probably been a lot of times on the Tennessee River that, that I, if I had active target, I wouldn't have seen them. But for some reason, I'm still catching them. I don't know if they glue that tight to the bottom or they're off the, the lip, tuck under the ledge or something. Um, but I still caught them where I can't see it. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they can definitely get that tight to the bottom. Like, I mean, it happens with smallmouth all the time where you'll pull one, you'll catch one. I mean, I'll catch one like 30 feet down right now and you'll pull it up and then you'll see four or five others come up along with it. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. they weren't there before, but they were there, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, have you, did you have live scope before at all, or did, have you always been active target? And then have you, I guess the other question is, have you noticed any differences or any tips to like do better specifically with active target, whether it's a settings or angle or anything like that? Um, I basically leave my active target on forward facing sonar. It is, it's extremely effective at when you go to down view too. Um, at least for my fishing game, I don't do that, that perspective mode. It's mm-hmm. very cool, and it's fun to play with. But as far as tournament fishing, I don't use it. But as far as learning, it's a great tool. Um, as far as before Lawrence released their forward-facing sonar, I did have friends that had the Garmin's, but I never ran a Garmin. So I would get in their boat. So I had a little bit, like, I would have never done that good at the cuff without fishing with a buddy of mine um, in his Garmin. Um just learning how to use that technology so it getting time under my belt with the garmin was definitely crucial to getting a head start with the lorance okay as far as like a settings kind of thing goes there's not you don't feel like you have something that you do that other people don't do because i feel like it seems to me with garmin there's a very wide range of different settings and i'll talk to like you can talk to 10 people and everyone runs theirs generally differently. Is sure. that kind of the same for Lawrence or is Lawrence a little more out of the, right out of the box? Cause I've honestly, I've been in the boat with it literally one time, I think no twice. Okay. So Lawrence is very user friendly as you can plug and play, but as far as advanced use of it, um, I like to, to describe this as I tune it, like I, I would tune a scope like of a rifle, you know, when you're playing with the, the zoom the ma- and go in and out to get a clear picture, right? So based off distances, I'm playing with um, contrast, and I, I don't ever leave it on auto for me. Now, for general use, you can leave it on auto, and, and you will definitely get you by. Um, I also take the noise rejection all the way off. So you're going to get a lot more trash in there, but it's going to increase your sensitivity a ton. So but once you learn how to interpret that, it gives you a lot clearer picture out the farther distances. So that's probably the biggest tip I can give people is turn your um, noise rejection off and then hit the menu and keep your contrast just available so that you can look at something and play with it so you get the best picture. And I do the same thing with downscan and side scan. Okay, I like it. Cool. That's uh, I, I feel like, you know, you're... You, you guide, you spend a ton of time on the water, you've got ledge lakes, you've got Smith, like, 
you're in a really good outside of like having northern smallmouth all over the place or maybe being in well smith is kind of ozarky like you're in a really good place to make the most of it you know or alternatively not if that's what you want to do you know right right i love i love living where i live and i think there's a a reason that so many anglers have moved to this area of the country because it is basically the pro fisherman's playground. Yeah, have um, that's for sure. You did you move there on pur- You moved there on purpose, right? Because your family's from Wisconsin, correct? So my family is from Wisconsin. Um, I am a military brat, um, and I was actually in the military myself. But I live all over the eastern side of the United States. I was actually born in Germany. And we ended up in North Alabama in 2003 off a relocation for the Army of my dad. He ended up at Redstone Arsenal, and that's how I ended up in North Alabama. And just so happened the fishing was great. Yes, and it just so happened that I wanted to fish professionally since I was 11 years old, and I just believe God put me in the perfect place. He just got a new plan for my life, so I couldn't have been put in a better place to have that dream and a goal. Well, I guess on the fishing professionally part, you're taking it to another level next year with the Bass Pro Tour. You know, you've fished the pro circuit for three years now. You've been really successful. Next year, you're just fishing the Bass Pro Tour. Are you fishing other stuff too? What's your uh, What's your outlook? So the only thing that's as far as payment wise right now that is locked in is the Bass Pro Tour. With the, with the championship being on Gunnersville with the Toyotas, I absolutely want to find a way to qualify. The only issue is my only route to championship is the wild card division. So I kind of figure out, I'm kind of playing chess with tournaments. You're, there's only you're so doing many some fit uh, in. real scheduling magic. <laughs> yes, because there's only so many you can fit in. Then there's also certain lakes or if you, you can only fish four that you're going to want to give yourself the best odds of being in that top 25 um, that maybe fit your strength or whatever. Um, so I haven't been able to fully wrap my head around that part of the schedule yet for me because my biggest focus really is doing well in the Bass Pro Tour. Um, the championship on Gunners will be great, but I'm learning that I fish at my best when I'm not stressed with a ton of tournaments and I can really focus on a certain um, circuit per se. So, you know, the year I I did not that great, I was really kind of spread thin when I was guiding a ton in between. I had no reprieve from fishing. So this year I kind of took it easier and I gave myself breaks to go pre-practice lakes and just really focus on the, the, the pro fishing side of it. And after all my thinking about it, I felt like that was the best best opportunity I could give myself to do well on the Bass Pro Tour is to just really focus in on that. And it's a new format for me. And I feel like, as you know, the pro circuit, there's a ton of great opportunities, going to Pickwick, going to Gunnersville. Um, and there's, there's a lot of sponsor opportunities over there as well. But for me as an individual, I think the Bass Pro Tour is the best place for me this year for me to give myself the best chance of performing there. Okay. I, I mean, I, I think it makes sense, you know, like, uh, for, for Cole Floyd, he is like, obviously a pretty transcendent angler, but I mm-hmm. also have, sometimes I feel like his style might lend itself much more toward five fish than towards 
the Bass Pro Tour format. So, like, maybe in that sense, it's really good for him to be fishing both. For Dakota mm-hmm. Ebert to fish both is like nothing. He fishes 700 tournaments a year. It won't matter. But for a normal person to fish both, like, that's asking a lot, you know? <laughs> so I can see why you do one or the other. And it really comes down to your personality. And don't get me wrong. I like and fish that many days. And I just think it, it if you have a goal or just want to su- exceed, succeed the best you can at something, you have to give it your full focus and not leave it to chance. So if I fish both, I am very, I'm very confident that I will be very successful in one or the other. I just really want the place I want to be successful at is the Bass Pro Tour. So I'm going to give that every effort I can give it. And if I think the Toyotas are going to take away from that, although the championship's on Gunnersville, I'll probably just do guide trips and help the other people coming to Gunnersville. And um, I'm sure the time will line up to where I can succeed on Gunnersville in a tournament, but um, outside of BFL. <laughs> I mean, hey, you've got the BFLs like pretty well dialed in. That, that's happening for you. Um, what? Tell me, when did you make that decision? Because I remember this, I think... It was sometime this fall, maybe it was at the Toyota Series Championship, like, we were talking and you were, like, pretty excited because you thought this would give you the opportunity to not guide and really, truly fish almost full-time or, like, extremely full-time. Did that, did you just kind of decide to, like, prioritize doing as best you can versus doing the most, or was there a time where you were kind of more on the fence? Man, I, I rode that, you know, it's a decision-making process you go through. And you really, for me, as I've gotten older, I have to separate emotion from facts and logic. So, and both play into it. Um, obviously, emotionally, I really wanted to fish Pickwick and Gunnersville during prime times that I've both had great success in. But do I want to bet a 30-tournament year and the stress that comes with taking on that other load on the excitement of those two tournaments. And because I have also learned just like the championship on Pickwick this year, just because it's your home, lake doesn't mean <laughs> anything's going to happen for you. I don't even want to limit both days. Um, so I, I, and if I look at my stats, I do great traveling the country, fishing places I've never fished before. So it's just for me as an individual, I, I perform better with not doing everything. And I, I, you know, John Cox and a lot of people, it's been almost glorified to see you can fish the most tournaments in a year. And that's great for some guys. And I was really excited. Like I was like, heck yeah, I can do that too. And I learned that Ryan enjoys free time and Ryan enjoys having a life outside of fishing. So I wanted balance, I think is the better word for 2022. I mean, here's the thing. Your dog has an Instagram. If you fish 25 tournaments, you're not going to be able to maintain that very well. Yeah, he's going to be upset with me. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> so that's, that's, a key, that's a key point. I'm not even really joking. <laughs> no, I know, yeah. So I, I do. I love, I love my dogs, and um, I love spending time with family and friends, and I think there is, there's a lot. I love what I do for a career. I feel very blessed to be able to do it. And I, I love the other aspects of life of spending time with my friends and family and just being home. Nice. Um, looking ahead to next year from both like a sort of schedule standpoint and a format standpoint, like 
I don't feel like the schedule is going to be difficult for you at all because it seems like you fish all over the place and it's no problem. Same for why you could qualify from the wildcard division. Like, just fish four of them. You'll make it. You're that good. But just saying, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but like, <laughs> I appreciate that. You know, the, uh, the format thing, you haven't really spent a lot of time fishing uh, that I know of anyway. Uh, multiple, multiple fish events. So, I guess, what's the lowdown? Do you have any worries? Do you feel like it's going to come natural? What do you think? I'm excited about it because it's something new and it's going to be a challenge. I know it's going to be a challenge. I predict that Ryan might struggle the most with boat landing, fish landing violation. (laughs) 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 Because I'm a boat flipper, you know, and honestly, I'm not probably... I use the net 40% of the time. Jody, I could just, like you said, Lake Murray, you, when I use the net, you saw the shenanigans I got into with a net. <laughs> and I ended up boat flipping that five pounder. And, um, I'm not too worried about landing the fish without a net. I'm worried about putting them on the carpet. So, you know, fish handling is probably my focus. Um, and I think, you know, I've been kind of gaming it in my head, and I've watched, you know, Jacob Wheeler a ton just because I feel like he has that game dialed in the best, and I don't think anybody could argue that. Yeah, Something I've noticed he does is he steps up his line class, even on lighter line, just so he can keep him in the air a little bit and not worry about him breaking. So yeah. it's kind of a little tidbit I've already taken away from kind of studying. But, yeah, I think probably fish landing will be the – as far as landing them and not getting penalties will be my challenge. I feel like that's a, probably a pretty fair challenge for everyone. I think um, I think one thing a lot of guys do over there, it seems like, is they wear gloves so they can grab the line better. Um, mm. Which, like, obviously that's not... I, I don't know if you wear gloves, really. I don't feel like you do, and it's kind of like, like an... Un, it can be uncomfortable to get used to, I feel like, but that could be pretty clutch. If you're trying to yeah, add in so more stuff, guiding, I wear our gloves a ton. So in tournament fishing, I don't, I haven't worn them as much. But not, the main reason I've worn gloves guiding because I'm handling a ton more fish. So I can do it out of necessity. Um, I would just, I just keep a lot more pairs because I hate when they get so waterlogged. Your hands get soggy. Yeah, I like that. That's a good kind of flex though that you, you guys, your clients catch so many fish that you need to wear gloves. Like that's good. <laughs> yeah, I gotta handle well, so many fish. It's just as brutal, hundreds every day. <laughs> well, it can be misleading, you know. Um, obviously, we do catch a lot of fish, but in the springtime, below the tail races, we're catching all kinds of fish, including drum, catfish, white bass, stripers, etc. So, man, you can me, David Allen, uh, Cody Harrison, the owns Bass Whacker Guide Service over there. All of our hands are cracked, like cracked like bleeding cracked from mainly hand of fish handling. And the, when a fish is slime and the cold water gets on your hand and you wash it off repeatedly, it just sucks the moisture out of your skin. So gloves are essential. Dude, the best thing I've ever done for that, because that happens a lot with late season smallmouth, which is like mm-hmm. a passion of mine. I wear, I can tell I wear latex gloves under my fingerless gloves and I'll put Vaseline on my hands before I put the latex gloves on. It's oh, a huge, it's a huge help. Like the, the latex will break, 
Like you could you could go through some pairs through the day if you wanted to. Usually, I just let it break and it still keeps like three or four of my fingers in better shape than they would have been. Like it's pretty yeah, clutch. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm gonna be out there with like blue gloves on. Yeah, I learned this from Jody White. <laughs> <laughs> they make them like the ones you buy at CVS are like they're purple. <laughs> at least that's the oh, that's awesome. That's the one that I found. They, you look like. Uh, I don't know, kind of, it's kind of like a, is Eeyore purple? I think Eeyore's purple. Yeah. It's kind of like that that shade. Nice. Um, but I don't know, you could give it a shot. I'm not saying it's going to solve every problem, but it solved a lot of problems for me. Um, I like it. Well, I, I had known one other friend to do it, but not for the purpose that you're saying. He he liked them to keep the, the wind off his hands. Okay, I could see that. Um. The first person I saw do it was uh, Justin Atkins at Gunnersville in the winter. Uh, mm-hmm. I forget. I guess Mark Rose probably won that tournament because it was when he, I think it was right when he won two in a row, and I don't know what year it was, but we were there in like February or something. It was horribly cold. Um, and I was like, huh, that's a good idea. And then I, you know, I, cont- I've, when I remember to do it, I am always glad that I remembered to do it. Um, Noted. Let's see. I guess uh, you had one other thing that we wanted to talk about, I know for sure. Obviously, you own True Bass, correct? Correct. Yeah, and I started True Bass and It's like you guys are... Yeah, and you guys are cranking out baits and you got a new one, right? Yep, yep. We're cranking out all kinds of baits, got new colors and whatnot. Our new color for us is Baja Blast. It's basically a green, sexy shad. We have it in every color or i'm sorry in every size right now and then we also just launched a new size it's the big minner 4.0 and that was basically the biggest gap that we had for the average fisherman and tournament angler because we had a really small one for the a-rig in finesse fishing and then we had a 4.5 with with a head it's like a five inch profile but we didn't have that you know 3.8 low four inch size so we just come out with a big sorry the big minner 4.0 and it's it's basically that 3.8 Titec size, and it's I used it on Smith Lake to catch a lot of those fish on Active Target. Actually, I was prototyping it then, and I was really satisfied with how it caught all kinds of fish. I like it. Is so they're they're a hollow belly, right? Um, Correct. Have you have have you really leaned toward throwing a hollow belly? belly over the years or do you throw solid swim baits too like the kitek you talked about or is there is there a reason that you're so into the hollow bellies i think the hollow bellies offer a unique action that a lot of fish don't see because so many people throw the kitek and the spark shads and but you also have to listen to the fish i have absolutely have both in my swim bait box i have ziploc bags of kitek and i have ziploc bags of true bass and I usually have one rod with each in practice, and I try to see which one they're biting better um, because they will absolutely let you know which one they're biting better. And then if I'm on a really good swim bait bite, I'll probably just leave a couple of each rigged up just to kind of ro- – if I'm in a good area catching on a swim bait, it, they, get, they give them different looks. It's just like crankbaits. You have tight wobbling crankbaits, you have hard wobbling crankbaits, and you have to match action and color and pace you know, to the mood of the fish. I like it for the, for the true bass stuff. 
how do you like to rig them? Is it a screw lock head? Are you like putting them on a regular head with super glue? What's your, what's your strategy? Cause I feel like correctly rigging a swim bait goes a long way. Oh my gosh. Yes. And if you need to know how to rig a true bass, just Google uh, or YouTube, you know, how to rig a swim bait. And one of my videos should pop up or Matt Allen, but I used to use super glue a ton before we came out with our true lock heads. And with a true bass and a true lock head, you don't need any super glue. Our swim baits are a little denser than most on most hollow bodies. So when you screw it up on the screw lock head, it's locked on there. Like it is really, really locked on there. Hence the name true lock. Um, and you can catch 20 to 30 fish on one swim bait without any super glue. Nice. That's on, a lot. On just a straight jig head. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, it, it's incredible. We probably should make them more, um, less durable so we sell more but yeah but you know z-man sells like a lot of baits and their baits last literally almost forever so that's true i it there's something to it like you know you you don't have to go the senko robo worm route you know what i mean (laughs) that's true yep yep uh but yeah man senko is really a racket like feels like that's the that's the perfect solution (laughs) It really is. Well, you know, and it, the sink is so great, too, because you know it's soft enough that you can even bury the hook up in there. If you let him eat it, he's going to get hooked. That is a fact. Um, sometimes, like, too good. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. That, that's another reason. So, like, when I'm flipping, punching hydrilla, I like to use reaction innovations just because their stuff is so soft and, and thin that when I set the hook on that big weight, it it goes in them. No doubt. Um, I guess my last question, man, you have, there's not a rookie of the year award that I'm aware of for the Bass Pro Tour. So what are your goals next year? You know, it's a new thing. It's hard to say you're any kind of rookie angler, but you know, you, you're, you're doing a new thing. I'm sure you've thought about what you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I actually pitched to them having a rookie of the year and they denied it. (laughs) which is fun there's only five yeah it's a very small rookie class is right the kind of the thing i'm sure i'll keep up with it i would love to do the best out of there but honestly that's a small goal for me i i think um it would be a long shot realistically to be angler of the year just because of the amount of experience i'm going against with this format but in the end it's fishing and you never know what can happen um I'd like to requalify. That was that's obviously goal number one for the Bass Pro Tour, and I want to win my first one. So the, the goal is to definitely win my first event this year um, on the Bass Pro Tour. I like it. I think that's a good goal. I think that you know it feels like uh, you've had like enough kind of close calls, um, you know, above the uh, BFL level. Like mm-hmm. I could, I could see it happen. It's uh. You're, you seem due, so I like that. Um, well, thank you. I guess, man, before I let you go, what uh, what should we be following? Because you have all sorts of internet opportunities, uh, I know. And you've got a guide business, so, like, should people be looking you up to book you, or are you all booked up? Yeah, so this year, that was another reason. So I, I wanted to kind of get fish for full-time professionally, and then I kind of just sat and reflected, and I'd really love my clients for guiding so just fishing the bpt really allows me to take my smallmouth guide trips so if you're wanting to book a guide trip this spring on pickwick and wilson lake 
or just, you know, learn how to smallmouth fish, give me a call. I'm definitely doing trips because um, I can't fish the heavy hitters or red crest this year because I'm not qualified. Although I will have to work Red Crest because we, we if, if anyone listening didn't know, well, we are having a convention at Red Crest this year. So definitely come by and, and see that. We'll all be up there talking. Um, and then follow me on Instagram. It's Salzy Fishing, S-A-L-Z-Y Fishing. And then on TikTok's the new thing. And I've been doing TikToks too. And that's just at Ryan Salzman on TikTok. All right. And your dog or dogs have an Instagram too? I'm not letting you get out of this. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, um, I have a dog. His name is Jake from State Farm, and he also wears khakis, for anyone wondering. He has the handle State Farm Doggo on Instagram, if you want to follow Jake. All right, excellent. I think it's perfect. Uh, I'm I'm a big Jake fan. Uh, I don't know if Jake is my favorite Gunnersville fishing dog, because uh, I love Belle. Um, yes. But he's up there, for sure. Um, That's awesome. But, uh, Ryan, man, uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been really fun watching you fish, uh, up close so often these last couple of years. And, uh, I will do it, I guess, less in 2022, but regardless, man, uh, best of luck. And, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Jody. And maybe in the future, I'll be back on the pro circuit, but, uh, definitely, uh, see you on the water. All right, so Kyle, one thing that we didn't talk about with Salzman was really one of the great tragedies. He changed his Instagram username. He mentioned it, but oh yes, it used to be like AL Bass Guide underscore Meme Lord or something, which was yep phenomenal. He still probably has his like Alabama Bass Guide Facebook page, which has like a ton of people following it, but. It's a real tragedy that he's buttoned up and gone straight now. Um, wow, but anyway, yeah, I just wanted is... to mention that while we were there, I guess. Thank you. Um, one thing we should sort of mention and talk about a little bit, I guess, before we do anything else, is Western Kentucky, was like, and other states too, uh, but particularly Western Kentucky for our purposes, um, was like, basically uh really knocked for a loop uh with due to like tornadoes and storms that came through the area like i guess the night of december 11th i think uh yeah i think that's right um the office was closed on monday we're recording on wednesday i know they're still having like some internet issues and cell phone issues like throughout the area uh, as far as we know, well, actually, I think this is pretty settled fact now, but no MLF employees have, like, were actually hurt or killed. There was a lot of property lost. Like, the photos from that area are, like, just unreal. Um, oh, gosh, it's insane. But anyhow, I guess that's the, that is a thing we should mention. It's long-term not really going to impact our operations, and luckily... Most of the people we know were all right, but also was a really big deal. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I, if you want to, that re, like I'm sure that that region will need a lot of help. If you want to like donate to it, there are a lot of ways that like you don't need uh, you don't need us to do that. Um, yes. Yep. I would say you know there's a there's a lot of ways to get money and resources in there. 
uh, it seems like. Um, but yeah, it was wild, dude. The I, I I don't know. I haven't really been able to confirm, but like, I'm fairly sure that the house that I used to live in like doesn't exist anymore. Oh. Or like it was not a very nice house, <laughs> and <laughs> the there's a bunch of like nicer, larger houses that were like literally a half mile, like a quarter mile away from it that are not there. So I'm assuming that I also would not have been there. Um, yeah. That's uh, that's pretty nut. That, that storm system on Friday, the 10th uh, was like kicking out a ton of snow. Like I know my parents' house uh, in the cities in Minnesota got, I think it was like 13 and a half inches of snow. And, uh, like, I didn't really pay any attention to the storm after that, you know? And then, I guess it would have been Sunday, the 12th, like, watching the news. It was like, whoa, holy crap. Yeah. Well, like, dude, like, so Austin Felix was driving north and, like, basically spent, like, the whole night in a hotel basement, like, almost yeah. right next to where the tornadoes were. And yeah. I didn't know, we didn't know that until the day after, you know? Like, anyway, it was wild. Yeah, that's nuts, man. Um, so yeah, I've never been particularly close to a tornado that I know of. Do also do not plan to be. Uh, not <laughs> they seem bad. Yeah, that's a it's a good rule of thumb. Avoid them if yeah. you can. Um, but Kyle, it being trap season, do you want to take us through uh, our latest trap season article? Because I feel like I'm going to be honest. This Dickie Newberry piece that you did, I think, is like one of the better. Like, I think it's one of the better things we've put on the website this year as far as, like, teaching somebody how to catch fish. Yeah, it was uh, – I, I, part of me thought that I should have continued talking to Dickie and maybe should have talked to him from the sense that it would be a really good podcast interview. And we could still call him up too, you know. Um, but it, the, the idea, if folks haven't read it, it's uh, – it's three tips for cold water, better cold water, lipless crankbait fishing. Uh, and obviously Dickie Newberry is the source. The guy has caught more bass on a lipless crankbait than probably uh, anyone I can think of. And uh, probably more like 10 pounders on it too uh, <laughs> than anyone I know of. So seemed like a really good source. And it was funny because I, I think I texted him in the morning and I was like, Hey Dickie, if you got a couple of minutes, you know, let's chat. He's like, oh yeah, no problem. I'll call you in a little bit. So he called me and like immediately started, uh, <laughs> spitting like all kinds of stuff about traps to me. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I am, I'm not ready for this. Normally I call guys from my computer so I can record the call a little easier. And, uh, like I answered on my cell phone upstairs and like, it was a hot mess. I, I pretty sure there were some things that he said early on that by the time I got reset up, uh, I kind of forgot because, because I wasn't recording and it was like just this huge, uh, gob of information being thrown at me at one point in time. But, um, uh, yeah, like the, the three tips he gave, um, I, I wanted him to try to like make fishing a lipless crankbait to someone that's been doing it for a while or maybe someone that's new to it, uh, be, I guess, easier. Cause a lot of people think, you know, you grab a, you grab a trap. You start throwing it around, you catch fish. And, you know, if you're in the south you get, and you got grass in a lot of these lakes and in, in, in like the winter months into the pre-spawn, um, 
you know, throwing a lipless crankbait's like what you do, right? And uh, when he started telling me these things kind of nonchalantly, I'm like, whoa, 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 tell me more about the, tell me more about this rod. Tell me about this hook change. Like, what are, what's going on here? And it was, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. The rod was really interesting. I guess we're going to like, maybe we break down. I don't know if we run through. We don't need to really go into each tip. Uh, but like Dickie is very anti like a crankbait rod for his lipless crankbait. And uh, on the one hand, it's not that surprising. Uh, but, you know, like if you read the the bass fishing book, right, the the rules, like, well, yeah, you want you want to you want a limber rod for your trap. Dickie says, no, 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 that's not that's not the case. You're doing it wrong especially around grass. You're going to catch more fish. You're going to hook more fish uh, because of it, especially in that cold water, you get a lot of fish that'll slap at a trap, right? And he said on a limber rod, it basically doesn't do anything. Like they bump the bait, it moves it off course, and then you, you're back to whatever you're doing with your trap, yo-yoing it, reeling it, hopping it. But with a stiffer rod, when they slap at it, it'll actually, like those hooks will stick them. So you'll, you know, you might get them in the... Uh, side of the face or whatever it is like i mean if they made an effort to get that bait you're gonna hook them and you're gonna have a better chance of getting them in the boat which is you know pretty clutch uh when you're bass fishing also pretty clutch when you're fishing tournaments yeah i Dickie thought that sent, was a good tip dickie sent me a, a picture of a uh i think it was a nine pounder he hooked in the tail one year and oh. it was like barely hooked in the tail but he said he had uh, like fish through there in the morning. And I think his partner was throwing like a crankbait, like a actual, like a fiberglass or a composite rod and, uh, missed one or like had two bites or something. So they went back through there. Dickie started firing in there with his setup and, uh, yeah, caught that, caught that nine, uh, just barely skin hooked in the tail. Like, Whoa. He's like, so, I mean, it works, you know, like from the sense of getting fish in the boat. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I dig it. I really, he also, the man, uh, yeah, there's a quote in there too about like how we figured it out, which was kind of like by accident, which is also kind of fun. Like I like when uh, guys that are really good at fishing stumble on things by accident or like how I feel I would, you know, just kind of like, ah, oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's like he's not born being a better lipless crankbait fisherman than you. Yeah, it's just he, sheer. He's time. done it a lot, and he's learned a lot. Like he's learned a lot about it, and like a lot of things that are basic to you or I, or that are basic to him, aren't basic to you know the newbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he uh, uh, to fish. So I guess I should also mention because I'm assuming too that maybe some of these folks haven't heard read the article, uh, but Dicky likes. It's basically a medium heavy or a heavy action rod. It'd, it'd be like a jig rod or, uh, yeah, like something you'd uh, maybe pitch around with, maybe flip a jig, um, like a seven two to seven six somewhere in there, like a little longer. Uh, but yeah, he was pre-fishing for a Toyota series years ago on Rayburn, and backlashed his actual crankbait rod that he was throwing a trap on. So he just tied it on his football jig rod just tied a lipless crankbait on it. I was like, ah, whatever, you know, I'll just keep throwing it and see what happens. Well, uh, then, <laughs> then he started catching fish and like he'd had bites previous to that and not really connected with anything. And then now all of a sudden he was catching fish 
and he was ripping it through the grass easier. Like there were just so many things that for a guy that had been, you know, however many years of throwing a rattle trap before that, uh, started realizing like, gosh, this is, this is better. You know, <laughs> all it took just took one backlash and, uh, boom, here you go. Now he's, you know, the trap master. Yeah. So everyone remember, get backlashes. Yep. Get backlashes, change your odds. What, um, uh, so I, I have a question on that. What is yeah. his, what's his line setup? And did you ever ask him about, uh, if he throws, like if he had considered or dabbled with braid instead of fluoro? Cause I'm guessing the line is fluoro. Yep. It's 15 pounds Seagar and Vizex on most applications. Uh, that's usually like a half ounce trap. Um, he'll throw a three quarter if he can get away with it, but he doesn't really like it. It, he said it really line size is dictated by the height of the grass and the distance of water above it. So like if you only have two feet of grass from the, or two feet of water from the top of the grass to the top of the water, uh, he said he may go to like 20 pound fluoro. And he said, if you're really trying to run a trap over like skinny water or through skinny water, uh, he'll switch to mono. Okay. And but he said he mono is kind of like a last resort. Twenty pound fluoro is usually about as high as he needs to go to get his trap to run where he needs it to. Uh, Fifteen is kind of his all around though. Like he said, if he had you know five rods laying on the deck, three of them would probably have fifteen. One would probably have twenty, and one would have seventeen or something like that. So. Uh, but day in, day out, 15's his, 15's his juice. And then he said, it, it, again, those variables of just how deep you're trying to fish, he can get there by adjusting line size or changing trap size. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, hmm. Do you, we want to hit any other topics on that or not really... Or you feel like it's, I feel like we may let people read it. Yeah. 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 We'll just, we'll give you a, we'll give you a tease in with the, uh, the rod banter, but yeah, that, um, uh, you know, the Dickie, he's got a lot of good quotes. Uh, he's a fun guy to listen to and he loves fishing a trap and, you know, it just seems fitting for, uh, this time of year we're coming into like, uh, well, it is trap season, I guess. Seen a lot of hashtags going around. Oh, yeah, big, it's big time. Trap season is really taking over the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full full swing. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, cool, cool. I like it. Um, Kyle, our next, uh, our next topic here is uh, holiday shopping, essentially. Um, oh, yeah. So do you buy gifts uh, for anyone? Uh, I mean, sometimes. Uh, yeah. See, I... I don't really. Uh, I should. And, and now I will say that, like, my wife usually handles all that. Emily's pretty on top of all that stuff. It was recently her birthday. Did anyone buy gifts for you? Uh, no. Emily made monkey bread in the morning, uh, which I'm a big fan of. And huh. don't get to eat all that often. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of it. I will say, like, on a gift standpoint, I usually... I usually try to get my dad something because we are like-minded. And so it's a little easier for me to be like, oh, he might like this. 
But, and I'm sure we've talked about this on the podcast, the thing that I, when, when it came to like Christmas and having relatives, uh, you know, like buying presents or whatever for you or asking you what you wanted, I was always real reserved about saying something specific I wanted because I felt like they wouldn't get the right thing, if that makes sense. Like for, I wasn't going to say... Instance, I've been trying to get Mega 360 for an Ultrax, <laughs> and I don't think anyone's going to buy me that for Christmas. <laughs> Partly because no, it's impossible just, to just, find. Like, come on. Also, a little bit big ticket. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit big ticket, but I mean, come on, you know? And hard to find. <laughs> um. So if anyone's listening and you want to really make Jody's year, uh, you know, some 360... Yes. That's all a man wants. It's not. It's not asking a lot. No, not at all. <laughs> um, one time, so I have generally tried to uh, train as many relatives as possible that a tackle warehouse gift card is absolutely the best gift you can get me. Yeah, um, perfect. The downside is sometimes I forget to use them and I just buy tackle anyway. So <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's a gift, but it's also like not an exciting gift. One time. Uh, my mom bought me like three of like seven different colors of rock of Spro rock crawlers, which was a fantastic gift actually. One of the, like, there's a couple of the colors I haven't really used, but I have enough Spro rock crawlers for a long time, and I have not moved away from them as a great springtime bait. So that's been that worked out really well. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, I. I, I feel you that like shopping for fishing is a little bit tricky outside of pulling the trigger on a gift card yeah yeah like the a gift card is just such a uh like i I, you know people say there's like no heart in a gift card but i think on the contrary like it opens it opens the door for me to look at like oh man i can get uh you know a couple of these baits that i kind of wanted to get but i didn't really want to spend the money on myself or you know i really wanted to pull the trigger on this new reel, but I didn't really want to spend $150, but you know, $25 off or, you know, whatever the gift card amount is like t- chiseling some off of that. Well, yeah, now I can, now I'll treat myself to a reel or a rod or whatever. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, I found reel, it hard to beat. I think a reel is a pretty good gift though. I think a reel, um, a reel's a good gift. It's with a bait caster, it's a little harder, right? Because yeah. you've got a lot more models to choose from, I think, and you've got, um, well, basically you've got more models to choose from, and you've got left and right hand that you have to know, and you got to deal with gear ratio. But I can't imagine a scenario where someone could get me a Vanford, and I'd be like, "Oh man, didn't need that." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you buy basically any Shimano spinning reel, you are not making a bad decision. I got a, uh, I got a Stratic for Christmas one year. Uh, this would have been probably back in, I guess, early college. And yeah, li- we're talking about like backflips were done, basically. Yeah. You probably uh, still have that reel too, right? Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now, sitting over on my drop shot rod. Yeah. Haven't done a thing of maintenance to it. Drag is silky smooth and uh, other than a little bit of dirt. Works like a champ. I have a Stratic. I kind of shelved it because I just love the CI4 so much. Uh, but Oh, sure. The only... It's like, I don't know, 15 years old. The only thing wrong with it is the drag doesn't make noise anymore. The drag works oh. perfectly. 
but something broke on the clickery part of it or something. So it's like a spinning reel with a silent drag. Interesting. Very disconcerting. Other than that, perfect reel still. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, oh, as far as shopping that I've done, this year I just bought Billy a whole bunch of stuff that I've been using. Because Billy and oh. I fish all the same stuff. Like, if he's catching them on something, I'm like, ah, all right, I'll get some of those. If I'm catching on something, <laughs> he gets some of those. So we just basically, you know, there's obviously there's some things on that he doesn't need. Like, he doesn't need as many jigs as I need because he lives on Lake Erie. But yep. you get the point. You know, there's – we don't really – to this point, other than he uses a lot of six-pound leader, and I haven't really incorporated that fully into my lifestyle, we're pretty much like just we all fish. We fish the same stuff. Which is, you know, kind of what you want uh, for a buddy and guy you fish tournaments with. Yeah. No, it's uh, a okay, it's, that's, it works good. That's perfect. But, yeah, like I've been catching a lot of fish, you know, this fall. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to stock Billy up. The only nice. thing, I, I will say flatworms could be a good gift, too. Hey, uh, yeah, like for if anyone's listening to this, you got someone to buy for. If you find some flatworms, they'll probably like them, or they'll sell them for like a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. One of the two. I wonder though. Uh, I think they might be out of stock again on Tackle Warehouse. I'm trying to I'm trying to search it and find it right now. I keep I kept searching flatworm and it wasn't popping up. Uh, oh yeah, it doesn't. If you just type flatworm, no, no, they're the top. gone. I, I I search Maxent, they're not there. Wow. Um. Yeah. The. Uh, yeah. If you find flatworms, apparently still hard to come by. For a while, they had a lot of them in stock. <laughs> what about? Especially the lighter colors. They're hard. If you see some of those and you know somebody who likes to fish, get them. <laughs> or just what's send like, to us. What's something? Uh that you would like as a gift that would be something oh that isn't ex- like line a, a bait a reel a rod um you know uh, other things that are fishing related and that maybe you could find on tackle warehouse but uh is there like anything that comes to mind like actually this would be kind of a sweet gift and it's something i wouldn't really buy for myself uh if you catch my drift uh well so i guess a couple of points one the uh the maxent chigger craws are in stock on tw there's also oh some of the maxent trds i mean little Ooh. generals um are creature hogs in stock Ooh, they got a lot of colors in stock i might have to buy some um loading up so one thing i think is a good gift is scissors Ooh. uh like you can spend like a little bit more on like a good quality scissor for braided line. And it's something that one, I usually it's not like I refresh my stock. Like I'll buy like a new pair, like once a year. And I feel like it's the kind of scissor. It's the kind of thing that you actually probably want to buy twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they do wear out as far as I can tell. Um, a good pair that I got recently were from Arsenal. They're, uh, they they have like green handles. They seem to cut things really well. Uh, but also, I got them at the beginning of the year. 
now they're not cutting things quite as well. They still cut like floral ah. stuff beautifully, but like eight pound, six pound braid, they're like a little more like, hey, you want to try that again? And I'm like, okay, he <laughs> <laughs> should should have been pot, you know. Um, another good thing would be uh, plastic bags. Oh. Um, I bought some from Amazon that Austin recommended. They're like, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it, but it's spelled (laughs) (laughs) O-A-I-M-Y-Y. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because I went to look them up. And and then, like, you know, obviously there's, like, those bags from uh, Bass Mafia, which are way more expensive. And then I think... I, I think other companies are starting to make those sort of like large plastic bags. Which yeah, are... the resealable, kind of tough, um, or like durable, right? It's not like throwing stuff in a Ziploc. Yeah. Uh, those Although, style bags. Tackle Warehouse is starting to ship stuff in like pretty in bags. I don't know if you've, this is a thing I've noticed uh, because I order too much tackle. Um, yes, you do. <laughs> I mean, a normal amount. <laughs> Uh, Kyle's like, no, Jody, it's over the line. Well, I, I, look, I fully support it. But, yeah, you do. You have ordered, made 40 times more Taco Warehouse orders this year than I have. It's been a big year for me. I had a pretty good stretch of not ordering tackle, and it's just come crashing down around my ears. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but anyway, the they sell they ship stuff in pretty good bags, but, like, Bigger, good quality plastic bags are really nice for storing stuff in the boat. Or even just like taking places. Like when I was a co-angler at the Thousand Islands, I took a, I, I had like one bag of Max Scent, I had another bag of like swim baits, and then I had a bag that I put in like basically random terminal tackle and stuff like that because I wasn't bringing like, I mean, it was a drop shot tournament, right? Like I was not getting too fancy. Yep. Uh, and then I threw all that in a canvas bag, um, like I was going to go to the beach, and was like, "All right, let's go fishing." Uh, <laughs> so anyway, it was like that kind of thing is a good. It's a good gift because one, it's multi-purpose, and two, they are pretty good to store stuff in. Dude, on the bag note and multi-purpose, I was going to say that a dry bag of some sort. Uh, is a I think is a good Christmas gift for someone who likes fishing or is outdoorsy. Uh, for some of the not necessarily from like a tackle standpoint though, you absolutely could because you know they have there's all kinds of sizes of dry bags. Um, but like I used to keep uh, like in the compartment of the boat, I'd have like a, a smaller dry bag with uh, you know I may have like an extra rain suit. Or like, uh, you know, a roll of toilet paper, like stuff you really don't want to get wet. And mm-hmm. those heavier bags you're talking about work really good. But you can get more stuff in a dry bag, right? Or depending on the size you get. Or uh, like, I use them a lot in the duck boat to bring like a little battery pack, uh, like a portable charger, I guess, you know, and like a cord and uh, just other stuff I don't want to get wet or messed up. And then... Uh, I usually have one just sitting in my truck with random crap too, gloves, hats. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you, it's same principle you're talking about with the littler bags for like moving tackle around and stuff. I think a dry bag is a really good um, 
piece of equipment. Like I have a couple, I have the Sims, uh, I think it's their dry Creek bag, the small size. And I have the large size and, uh, they're like super lightweight, waterproof. And, you know, obviously you can adjust the size down too, depending on how full it is, but I'm a big dry bag or like a, yeah, like a dry bag fan. Yeah. I think that's the term. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we've told people to buy bags. That's exciting. Um, well, I mean, hey, <laughs> universal, man. Yeah. I I would like to be the kind of person who implements dry bags. I have probably four or five different ones kicking around the house. Literally do not know the last time I put a thing in one of them. Oh, man, you're so missing out. I'm, <laughs> I need to fix that, evidently. <laughs> you're missing out. Um, but, yeah. That's a that is a good idea. Uh, what else is a good uh, like? I mean, you want uh, Mega three sixty? Yeah, that's a little bit that's out there. Like, um, I don't really know. I'm trying to think of yeah. another good idea for folks listening. You know, if you want if you want to send some links to someone last minute, uh, like what would be a good suggestion? You know, I think, like, those inflatable PFDs are a good gift. Oh, sure. Because um, if you don't have one, like, they're pretty pricey compared to a regular life jacket. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there are a lot of times where I prefer to wear one. Uh, mine needs to be recharged or something like that. It's in the red now. And so I've been not wearing it, which has made me realize how annoying it is to wear a regular one. Especially when I <laughs> am fat now and I have, like... 30 layers of winter clothes too i'm like yep. it'd be great if i had this other life jacket uh so that's i think that could be a good thing and you know you might not know if someone has one of those but also having a second one is no one's going to complain about that yeah i think rain gear falls into the category too of like uh something a lot of people want i remember especially when i was younger like i always wanted a nice rain suit but like I was never going to buy myself a nice rain suit. Yeah. Uh, and so I usually, I, I got, I mean, a I really I nice got, rain suit is really expensive though. Yeah. But you can, you know, that's where you get some family members just pull in, just say, Hey, go ahead, you know, drop 600 bucks. Well, at that point, you might as well just get a mega live, you know, I mean, mega 360. Yeah. Don't, I mean, what maybe, I'm for? not saying don't get a mega live, but, there's options there. I thought uh, also along inflatable life jackets are good. I think sunglasses make a good gift too. Because A, you can't have too many pairs. B, you know, different color lens never hurt anything. And C, uh, yeah, I got like four pairs of sunglasses in my truck right now. And I yeah. wear all of them. And, you know, the Sunrise Silver, if, if you're angler doesn't have that lens like if they don't have a yellow lens oh yes you should get them a yellow lens yes because that's dope it's all i this time of year it's all i wear because it's always cloudy or even when it's sunny like it's it's not gonna be sunny long enough that i can not wear the yellow lens and it'll hurt my eyes yeah like i can't wear the yellow in florida when it's sunny but you know it's they're dope um yeah I don't know. We also have a gift guide on MajorLeagueFishing.com. Kyle and I aren't really, like, high on the content of it necessarily. Uh, But, I mean, there's us. Probably can scroll, find some ideas there. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It definitely would kind of, I think, uh, 
from a gift guide standpoint, it helps get the wheels turning of like, oh yeah, I could use something, maybe not necessarily that, but I could use something along those lines, you know, let's get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the home and yard section, uh, they've got an all battery electric string trimmer leaf blower combo kit. Ooh. Uh, this is a side note. We have a lithium powered chainsaw. It's like pretty oh. dope, actually. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've wanted to wanted to get one. Um, that would be. I have used it enough to say. Obviously, you got to recharge it, right? Or yep. get multiple batteries. It's not you can't cut stuff all day with it. But it's like pretty sweet to just like pull the trigger and not have to, you know, try ten times to get your other chainsaw to start or to it's it's nice i'm a fan there you go then you could keep it in your boat and chainsaw through uh you know cut trees down there blocking creeks you really want to fish yep and yeah or chainsaw some ice open you know maybe you gotta cut a hole in the ice yeah uh no so the actually that's a yeah, the uh, the electric chainsaw, well, lithium chainsaw, is something that I thought was going to... I did not really expect it to be as nice as it is. And I've used it enough now to be like, you know what, this thing? Pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sweet. I was I was thinking to myself, I'm like, there's no way an uh, electric chainsaw is, like, going to get the job done. Turns out it does. Uh, <laughs> granted, I'm not, like, you know, felling uh, old-growth forests or anything, but... Sure, sure. You know, it's it is pretty handy when you don't want to have to deal with your other other chainsaw. Yeah, I'm sure all the same that. things can happen to it though. Like the blade can, I know the blade can come off, but like I'm sure there's a hole, or the the chain. I'm sure there's all the same stuff that is annoying about a chainsaw can happen to those, but this one is young enough that it hasn't happened quite often yet. <laughs> yet. Yeah. Keyword yet there for sure. <laughs> um. Anyhow, do you have any other ideas, Kyle? Anything else we should touch on? Man, I, uh, I, I don't think so. I think, uh, I think that's probably good. You know, if we pod next week, maybe we'll dive into it a little more. But I think that's uh, enough to to glance over uh, at this current venture. Nice. Um, one note, college fishing registration open now. Boom. Kyle, take me through the most important part of the show. This is the key stuff. <laughs> okay, folks. There is a new uncut angling episode, which should, I mean, that's like. That enough is a show that, Yeah, that's big news. But if you want to watch Aaron Weeb shooting holes in the ice to catch fish. Uh, with a shotgun, it really, like, that episode is, it's it the wins perfect in so one. many, There's... yeah, it wins in so many <laughs> levels for me. <laughs> um, they didn't catch very many fish. They did not. Uh, but he and his sister have fantastic chemistry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> um, and I wish that he had had another, uh, videographer there for just like let's say two percent better slow motion of shooting the ice yeah at the same time (laughs) god it was great yeah no that was a 
it's a pretty good move, but I've uh, never wanted to own a gun before. Now I want a shotgun so I can go yeah. ice fishing. <laughs> no I'm like, I auger. would do this way more often. <laughs> Bring out um, a stepladder instead of a bucket and you're in business, baby. <laughs> the Another big news uh, piece of news from that is the fact that you watched a Matt Steffen YouTube video before watching uncut angling okay don't tell matt this but i just thought it'd be shorter and so i'd watch it and then i'd watch the other one i didn't it wasn't like uh if i had only one video left to watch before death i wasn't choosing matt stefan no offense matt no we still love matt we love you but yeah oh gosh it was a very good video though um the matt stefan one was fine it was about jigs go watch it oh but Yep. The uncut one, super prime. Um, Kyle, we really should start an uncut angling review podcast. Oh, man, we should. It, we really should. There's probably not There's probably not that many people that care uh, as much. I was going to say uh, not many other podcasts that do that. I think it's a hole in the market. <laughs> well, it, and definitely a hole, definitely a hole in the market. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I do love, do love some uncut angling. Uh, you know, for our bass fishing uh, viewers, I mean, he catches bass sometimes. Sometimes, but he's really entertaining and just yeah. good at fishing. So he is really good at fishing. Like, there's our shameless plug for a YouTube guy today, dude. One of the most impressive, and I, I guess I don't know all the backstory on this, but one of the most impressive feats in fishing that I've seen was. When season two of 39 hours, he and Jay are like driving somewhere random. And basically, as far as I can tell, they found them on Google Maps and caught like the winning suckers or golden eye or whatever oh, those yeah. things were at that stream yep. in the middle of nowhere. Like yep. they just whipped in there like bam, 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 bam. Like, are you kidding me? If I'm like, <laughs> oh, that stream looks good. I'm never going to catch tournament winning fish out of that. Not in a million right. years. <laughs> that was like, right, this is... This is it. This is fishing out of the seat of your pants. He didn't need live scope to do that. <laughs> nope, nope. That's just instincts, brother. Yeah. So that was. <laughs> God. I should watch Thirty Nine Hours again. Probably should. I should probably watch it again. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's a good show. I wish they would do it again. That would be the ticket. Bring it back. Bring it back. Will if if Thirty Nine Hours comes back, we're doing a podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Then we have to. Then we have yeah, to. Yeah, that's the that's the key. <laughs> um. Oh, by the way, I. Well, the. Uh, I was reading about Rudd the other day, from, on on Twitter. Apparently, like basically they're not very common anywhere except like Lake Erie and Buffalo. Hence, why they were able to catch that Rudd in thirty nine hours. Oh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, we've now lost the, our entire audience. Yep. <laughs> Everyone um, has left. Uh, Kyle. Well, we appreciate you listening. Yeah. We're huge <laughs> fans. Glad you glad you showed up. Uh, Kyle, I have been catching a ton of bass. It's been great. Um, yeah, man. You've been you've been crushing it. Oh, dude. It, the fishing is so good. Um, I will say I have kind of stopped trying to catch really big smallmouth because the main lake where I do that, I swear it's just gotten hammered too much, I think. And there's a limited number of places where the fish are this time of year. 
And so one, I feel a little bad for them. Two, I think they've gotten really smart. Oh. Um, I think it'll open up in the spring again, is my guess. But that's not the point. Mm. Point is, <laughs> I've been catching numbers of three-pounders and having a blast. Um, but I wanted to ask about your duck situation, because your season's like over now, right? Uh. Yeah, for like around the house, uh, it's over. And it was uh, lackluster at best. Uh, though I told you before, and uh, or before we started recording, but um, th- this duck season is pretty much, well, most of the time I go hunting. Well, really fishing too. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's always just some form of like rodeo. Like there's some stuff happening. Like I've broken uh, on the surface drive motor. On my duck boat, I've broken two props this year, uh, which, granted, they're aluminum props, so they're soft, right? Uh, but the other day, I was running down the river, same stretch of river I've ran, you know, a dozen times this year, clipped a log, knocked an ear off, and, uh, yeah, I had to change out props again, and then that was my last one, so then I was, like, real gun-shy about <laughs> going anywhere. <laughs> uh, but the other day, uh, winding down the end of duck season, it ended on Tuesday, Monday, I was out driving around and, uh, I wanted to try to launch the boat in this sort of sketchy, but not too sketchy, uh, spot because it's just like gravel road that stops in the, in the backwater of the river and, uh, start backing in. I'm like, oh man, I should probably put this in four wheel drive. So I put it in four wheel drive and, uh, I'm stuck, not going anywhere. Try to go forward. Doesn't go anywhere. Then my truck gives me an alert. Uh, that I need to check the four by four with like a little French light. Nice, like, nice. Thank you, truck. You're yeah, totally what, a thing. You're totally capable do? of doing on the fly. Yeah, yeah. Like thanks a freaking lot. So uh, yeah, we you know shoved some rocks under the rear tires and uh, unhooked the boat. Got the truck out, hooked the tow strap to the boat, pulled it, which actually worked way better. I thought for sure the tongue, uh, the jack stand was going to. Uh, just basically dig itself into the mud and then become more stuck. But it just rolled right out of the mud, right onto the, uh, like the gravel road, boom, piece of cake, hooked it back up to the truck and, uh, found a new boat ramp. (laughs) It's basically, uh, moral of the story. Killed a couple of ducks, killed a couple of geese. And, uh, yeah, now I guess it's time to maybe think about trying to catch a fish. There was a dude crappie fishing the other day on the main lake. And he looked like he had live scope. Uh, I never saw the transducer on the trolling motor, but he was staring down and turning the head of the Ultrex a lot, which I felt like, you know, probably meant he he had that. Yeah. And uh, never saw him catch anything, but I was like, dude, I bet right now you could mess some crappies up. The water temp is probably like 33 degrees, but uh, I bet you could catch the fire out of them in some brush piles. Maybe. Um, you might also catch a lot of perch. I don't know what your perch situation there is. I don't know. But... I don't know that there's a whole lot of perch. Dude, the uh, other day I followed around. I, I didn't catch that many of them. I, I was throwing a, a puppet minnow, and I think I had like maybe one size too big or needed like some plastic on it or something. But I caught several. And ah. there was a school of, I mean, a bazillion of them. But it was amazing how much they moved. Um Oh. I probably, following around on live scope, I probably moved like, you know, 60, 70 feet in like, you know, a few minutes. 
So it's like tracking these, you know, 100, and 100 200 perch, you know, around across the bottom. It's pretty oh, cool. Oh, sure. So, anyway, those, I feel like perch this time, I feel like perch are one of the most visible species in the winter mm-hmm. on LiveScope, and that's always a nice thing. <laughs> At least you're seeing something. Yeah, it's like, well, I haven't really been catching them except, like, literally one spot, and so might as well, oh, here's perch. I guess I'll catch some of them for a little while. I'll try something else <laughs> in a bit, you know. <laughs> like, it seems to work out. Um, but, yeah, that's a, I guess that's the show for us, eh? I think that's probably it, man. Um, cool. Well, Kyle, I am not sure if we're going to podcast next week, so why don't you just sell some stuff, like, real hardcore now? <clears throat> All right, here we go. Few lures have stood the test of time like the original Rattle Trap by Bill Lewis, and now, with the help of Major League Fishing Pro Mark Daniels Jr., we're launching the SB57 and MR6. Go to rattletrap.com to learn more. How was that? Was that like was it was it over the top? Was that about right? I think it was great. I am nice. at rattletrap.com literally right now to learn more. <laughs> Your fingers were just forced to type it. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on. Are you in need of a great career opportunity that gives you time to fish and spend time with the family? Neat Companies is looking for you. Neat needs Class A CDL drivers now. They got competitive pay, 100% paid health insurance, 401k, tuition reimbursement, and more are just some of the benefits. Call Neat now at 833-463-NEAT to get your career started. That's 833-463-NEAT. Nice. Boom. Uh, hey, at rattletrap.com, uh, you can pre-order MDJ's new 12-foot diver, the MR-12. Ooh. Uh, and also, well, you know, it. they had this sign up here a second ago. I think there was some kind of there was some kind of pop up where I guess maybe if you buy forty nine dollars of stuff you get free shipping. So if you need forty nine dollars of rattle traps but not fifty dollars of rattle traps, <laughs> go there. It'll be you know, it'll otherwise you could go there or go to Tackle Warehouse I guess. <laughs> they got a, choice. a custom contest winner, a color called the Warden, which looks pretty good. It's like gold on top and red on the bottom. Chris McCall probably Ooh. has about 30 of them on order, just in case. Yeah, a million of them. <laughs> yeah. There's like 150 guys around Rayburn who are just getting like shipments in of every new color. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to need 12 of these. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, cool. Cool, cool. Uh, well, Kyle, um, you can uh, contact us, uh, podcast at majorleaguefishing.com. Uh, we got a website. There's all sorts of social media. You are at Kyle Lumber. I am at Jody Blanco on the gram. And I think that pretty much does it, my man. I think it does. Uh, you know, I guess maybe we'll talk to you next week. Uh, you know, everyone keep enjoying the holiday season and, uh, you know, I guess stay safe pending weather around. Uh, and, uh, watch out, Kyle. You're in yeah, the, go you're catch in the some fish. Zone. Go get outside. I'm going to go make sure my lawn chairs don't blow away. Until next time, see you.